Hi, and welcome to The Reinventors, a show about changing careers, about taking a leap. I'm journalist Claire Wiley, and each episode I speak to people who change jobs in a big way. Some quit the corporate grind to follow their creative passion. Others turn their side hustle into a full-blown company. You'll hear how they find the clarity, the courage, and the cash to reinvent themselves. Pamela Joy worked in Silicon Valley for more than a decade. But at the same time, she was having difficulties in her sex life. And that prompted her to go on a journey of self-discovery. Now that word is overused, but this really was a journey. She left her job as a data scientist at Facebook to retrain as a sex coach. Now she helps people who are struggling in their own sex lives. I had so much fun chatting to Pamela, and I really learned a lot about sexuality that I didn't know before. We talked desire, open relationships, different expressions of sexuality. Pamela says getting people to open up about sex is her superpower. And while her two careers seem completely different, there have actually been some surprising similarities between working in tech and being a sex coach. Pamela thinks sparking conversations with people is one of the best ways to get inspired and figure out your next career move. I hope you enjoy listening to this chat with Pamela. And if you're liking The Reinventors, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend. Did my undergrad as a biomechanical engineer and then went into consulting and um, then spent 12 years at Apple um, doing initially some um, coding work, but then shifted into finance for the last decade that I was there and then went and did um, data science and marketing at Facebook. So kind of every few years just shifting. And so what was that? What was that like? Did you enjoy that work? I did. I really, um, when, when I worked at Apple, you know, I was surrounded by people who had been at that company for 30 years, like through some pretty particularly hard times for that company. Um, yeah, it's hard to remember when Apple had hard times, but they did. Um, and, you know, I, I loved those people. I loved my job. It was super rewarding. Um, yeah, I honestly did not, A, think I'd ever leave Apple, and then B, certainly leave tech altogether. So why did you? You know, what was the <laughs> the thing that really prompted this pretty significant change? Sure. I mean, I think I'll just talk with even the micro changes or start by talking about the micro changes therein. So I think every two years or so, I just kind of developed this itch, you know, like I'd figured out this job. And I wanted to learn something new. Um, and so the way that I kind of always approached it when I, when I had that itch was just to reach out to people who I thought were interesting, um, you know, within the organization and just say, hey, here's my background. Like, what are you doing these days? Like, is it, you know, I'm looking for something interesting and new. And so I think there was a way that I'd always kind of practice this listening to when I wanted to learn something new, but it was still all within the tech world, um, initially. And then, um, 
you know, the the move to Facebook happened when I kind of was having that itch and I started talking to some colleagues that weren't just at Apple anymore. And this one at Facebook was like, hey, I'm doing this really crazy thing. Um, I had been out of kind of hardcore coding for years, but his job was one that involved coding. And I said, you know, let me think about it. That'd be interesting. So that was kind of a bigger shift, you know, outside of a company. And then I had this really... um, really cool conversation with someone from HR at Facebook, actually, when I was kind of experiencing one of those two-year itches there. And we were sitting down and really cataloging, like, all of the things I was good at in one column. (laughs) And, you know, my jobs have been kind of in that category. And then in another column, we started writing the things that brought me energy, and that I really enjoyed doing. And I think that's a challenge, right? I think there's a lot of type A <laughs> people out there and like, I'm, I'm like good at a lot of different things, right? It's, it's, it's fun and I can do all these different things. But I think then the question was like, what do I really like? And that conversation actually, what happened was it wasn't just a conversation happening there on a professional level. On a personal level, I had also been experiencing some, you know, growth um, around um, personal challenges in my relationship. So I had started going to therapy. I had had a coach. I was trying new things. And I was finding myself like as a hobby, you know, researching more and more about this like personal growth and development thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just I think the stars kind of aligned with that conversation where I said, huh, like maybe I'm looking for a more dramatic shift right now. And so you had been how long had you been in tech when you decided to to leave that career? leave that line of work? Uh, let's see. I was a year as a consultant, uh, 12, 13, 16 years. Yeah. That's, that's a long time then to change into it's something totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, you know, it was a bunch of like mini careers and moves within there, sure. but it would definitely was all in tech and it was a world that I understood really well. Um, I'm in more of a human world now and it's very different. Right. Right. Sure. <laughs> well, tell me how you went from, you know, how you sort of connected the dots between that, that, idea that you wanted something more and more connected to the personal growth that you're experiencing to becoming a sex coach like what was that link and how did you start to think how did that idea come to you that that might be the career for you (laughs) it was a little bit of a slow burn actually so I was maybe a year before I left Facebook um I was at a conference for work And, um, I had been on this personal journey and I just got like really inspired at that conference. Like the speakers of the day were really good. I was just feeling inspired to like speak more broadly about my personal journey. So I went back up to the hotel room that night and I was like, I'm going to create a blog. Like I'm going to buy a domain. I'm going to get on Squarespace and I'm going to write my first blog and I'm going to publish it. And so I was, you know, switching careers was nowhere in my mind at that point in time. Um, but I did have this sense of, I want to not just have this be a personal journey, but like, I wanted to share it just in case it was relevant to others in their journeys. And I'll be honest, like I woke up the next day and I had like 800 subscribers overnight. Wow. And I thought, Oh, like people want to talk about this. And I just thought that was cool. Like I started hearing from people and their stories and it was cool. And I, you know, I remember telling my boss at the time I, I, I was really looking at our vacation policy because I had these like 
sex therapy conferences that I wanted to go to, like just because I was interested in it, right? Not, again, not a career. Um, I had these conferences I wanted to go to. I had this training, this coaching training. Still, I was still thinking this is a personal development thing, right. <laughs> but I'm going to this coaching training, right? But I, I remember sitting down with my boss and being like, can I eat two weeks into my vacation to do these things over this next year? And we came up with this vacation schedule plan and everything. And um, so again, like there wasn't this like maybe premeditated idea that in a year's time after publishing this blog, I was going to leave the organization and go back to school and get my master's and start this other career. Um, I think it was more just I was following my interests and starting to have conversations publicly about those interests. And, you know, if you talk to anybody about how to build a business, they'll say this, right? You know, like create a brand and like get followers. And, you know, and it was all, you know, not premeditated, but definitely helpful for the business. Um, yeah. So then, you know, maybe a year after that blog, I decided, well, shoot, if I, I'm a sucker for training too. And, and I'm horrible at like learning on my own. So where my mind definitely jumped to is like, oh, okay, I need to go back to school um, and use that as my transition period because I knew, like my business mind knew it would take me years to develop a new business. Um, so how could I like kind of, you know, wind down out of this t um, t tech career and and enter ramp up into this other career? And for me, school was a nice bridge for that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me take you back for a second. So what was the, what was the blog about? What were the kind of stories that you were sharing yeah. and what was sort of going on in your personal growth that led to you publishing that blog? Yeah, um, it's great. So what I had um, been experiencing in my, um, so I'm divorced now. So this was quite a few years ago, but I was basically in a relationship, in a marriage at the time, uh, about 15 years into that marriage. And we had always struggled with like a desire discrepancy. So he wanted sex more than I wanted sex. And at the time that was like our primary like challenge. And so we had started seeing a sex coach to help us with that. Um, and I was like, my mind was blown. I was like, oh my gosh, like I never learned that in sex ed in fifth grade. Like <laughs> that would have been helpful to know the last 35 years. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, you know, I was having this experience of like regularly having my mind blown by this coach, by things she was sharing and having that really have a positive impact in my relationship and having this sense of like, well, shoot, like probably the average person doesn't even A, know that a sex coach exists and B, probably wasn't taught the things if I wasn't taught the things. And so I just felt like I wanted to, I initially what I did was I created like a custom group on Facebook with like 30 of my closest girlfriends. Right. And I wrote these kind of blogs to them. Right. And we started talking about them like privately, but then I decided like, okay, it would probably be better if not just those 30 girlfriends knew about it. And maybe it would be good for also some guys to know about this. And so the, the blog is just really short stories from my journey of seeing a sex coach. Um, and again, so it's more of like, you know, now fast forward years later, um, my blog is a little bit more from like, Hey, I'm a sex coach myself. And here's some things I've learned personally, as well as some things I work with clients on. So it's got more of like a professional expert vibe to it. But back then when I first launched, it was like, 
hey, I'm just the girl next door and I'm going through all the same things you're going through and here's my story. I think that resonates so much with people because you have this like, now that you've done your training, you have the professional outlook, Mm -hmm. but there's also those personal stories that people can resonate with so much. Totally. I think, you know, I don't want to listen to someone who hasn't like maybe experienced the thing they're talking about themselves because I, I just don't feel them as much. And, and I want to feel like someone gets me. So yeah, like for my, you know, I would much prefer like a memoir than a self-help book. Right. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So then you left tech and you started retraining. Can you tell me a bit about that process then of kind of going back Mm -hmm. to school? Yeah. Um, yeah, I love going to school. Like I'll, (laughs) get three more masters before I die. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I just love, you know, sitting in a classroom and, and having someone tell me, you know, read this thing, let's talk about this thing. And so I decided I talked, so I didn't know where to go. You know, I knew what engineering school looked like, but I didn't know what learning about human psychology and sex therapy looked like. And so I, you know, I did what I did back in the Apple and Facebook days, except that I didn't have the people at work I could go to. So what did I do? I went on Yelp and I went on Psychology Today and I looked up therapists in the area and I cold called them. You know, I cold called um, this one wonderful woman. They were everyone I called was actually super nice. I basically just told them, hey, I was in tech. I've had these personal experiences. I don't know what schooling and training looks like in this thing. Would you have a few minutes to like share with me? And this one woman was, she's been instrumental. Um, I met with her at like a coffee shop and she basically said, yep, like you go to this training and you go to this training and you go to this training and then you can start your practice. And, and she was like, and here's the difference between all the different types of degrees you could get. And here's the pros and cons of the various schools. And, um, she was just amazing. And it really helped me figure out like, Hey, do I just stay in this, you know, girl next door category of just talking about my personal experience, which was a reasonable way to run a business. Um, do I get, you know, formal psychology training? Do I do just like coaching training? Do I do, I ended up doing almost all of it. Um, But yeah, I cold called people off the internet to figure out my next steps because I didn't know anyone in that profession. I love that. (laughs) And so what attracted you to the job of being a sex coach? You know, what what Mm -hmm. is it that you really like about that profession, about doing that for a living? Sure. Um, You know, I think, first of all, it's a topic that not everyone feels comfortable talking about. So, um, part of what I like is that the need is so high. Like when you, when you think about like a business, um, like opportunity, business market size, right? Like this, this is a really good market. So I know like, first of all, like my business hat says, like when I was first going through that process and trying to find a therapist or a coach, like I was really struggling. They were all full and had waiting lists. So my business brain was first of all, like, Hey, I could actually make a living off of this because it's great if I'm inspired by it and like it, but if I can't make a living off of it, it's probably not a good career. So I like that. Um, and then on a like personal fulfillment level, obviously this, this journey made a big difference in my life. And now as a coach myself, I can make a big difference in other people's lives. 
Um, and so that's obviously just really fulfilling. I also think the topic's just super fun. It can both be like serious and emotional, and it also can be fun and playful. I, I mean, I have a job where I get to flirt with my clients. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it is a fun job. Um, and you get to be there like for some really like um, vulnerable conversations. And um, that's cool. Well, tell me then what your day-to-day work is like, you know, how do you help your clients? What are some of the common issues that people come to you with? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think there's a few common challenges when it comes to sexuality. Um, One is um, probably the number one thing, which is what I experienced personally, and then also, you know, studied extensively about, and it's probably the number one issue, which is just desire discrepancy, right? If you have two people in relationship, obviously someone's going to have one sex more than the other person. Like it's very rare that it's like perfectly matched. So that's probably like the number one issue. And what happens there is generally the person who doesn't want as much starts to feel broken or bad or guilty. And the one who wants it more starts to feel rejected or frustrated. So there's some like very common themes and it's a very workable um, challenge. So there's that. Um, there's definitely challenges around like erectile dysfunction. Obviously there's a whole industry around making pills for that. Um, and it's a very common challenge, um, that men face and again, super addressable, um, a lot of different ways. Um, not just with pills, right? Like we can actually like, you know, teach you how to get more in your body and not get in performance anxiety loops and things like that. Um, I would say probably the third thing that people come to me is just relationship structure challenges, right? Whether it's like they had an affair or they're interested in open relationships or, you know, they're, you know, coming back from a divorce and trying to figure out how to, you know, make things different in their next relationship. It's just like kind of like relationship challenges in general um, show up pretty commonly. So I'd say those are probably the top three, but there's all sorts of other things like gender identity and, um, you know, sexual expression and, and things like that. Um, yeah. Right. And so for anyone who doesn't know, what is the difference between sex coach and sex therapist? I mean, is there a clear distinction in your line of work? Yeah. Well, if I, I'll, so I'll be honest, like when I first heard there was this, this thing called a sex coach, I immediately like envision like someone have it like, clients having sex in the person's office and like the person standing there with a clipboard being like, well, you know, if you try this, like, <laughs> so like, I was, I really like when we reach out to the sex coach, my ex and I, I was like, um, so what exactly do we do in a session? And she was so funny. Cause she like very vaguely wrote back, Oh, we won't do anything you don't want to do. And I just thought that wasn't an answer. Yeah. <laughs> But um, you don't have sex in a sex coach's office. Um, neither do you in a sex therapist's office. So therapist is basically a protected term. It's protected by the Board of Behavioral Sciences here in California, the BBS. And it basically just says, you have gone and gotten your master's in counseling psychology, and you have done 3,000 hours of practicum and um, taken two exams and gotten your license and are, you know, uh Uh, regulated by that board. Um, So it's a protected term. So anyone who hasn't done those things cannot call themselves a a therapist. Got it. Um, Those therapists also, of course, will get training in broad spectrum things. So they'll get training in anxiety and depression and trauma and substance abuse and like the whole gamut of mental health challenges. Um, what they actually don't get much of at all, which is funny because they're called marriage and family therapist at the end of that, they get like, like, two units out of 90 talking about sexuality. 
So if you have problems with sexuality and you go to a marriage and family therapist who didn't get additional training, like you are not, that is not money well spent. Um, unless they like, yeah, somehow magically just know that stuff without training. Um, so the difference between like a marriage and family therapist and someone who calls himself a sex therapist is they've gotten additional training around sexuality. And then someone who calls them a sex coach, because it's not a regulated profession, it's not licensed. You really have to individually look at their qualifications and training. So for me, I actually went and got my master's in counseling psychology and did practicum, but I didn't get licensed because it's kind of frowned upon for therapists to flirt with their clients, <laughs> but I actually think it's really helpful to the work. Um, so yeah, so I chose not to get licensed and I got, you know, 1500 hours and training around sexuality on top of that. So I'm probably more trained than the average coach. Um, but each one has chosen their own route and it may be very relevant to whatever it is you're working on, even if it's a small amount of training, right? If you're very specifically working on this niche thing, someone with a bio that has the background, it's great. Is it mostly couples who come to see you or individuals? Yeah. So because I write about how this shows up in relationship and how this shows up in coupledom, I see um, probably more couples than the average um, sex therapist or coach. I see probably 80% couples, um, but I do see, you know, the other 20% is individuals. Um, Working with couples is a different beast than individuals. I love it. I think it's so much fun. There's so much going on in the room and the problem like is showing up right here, you know, so I love working with couples. I think it's super fun, but individuals, um, you know, are also also important. So let's say then you have a couple who comes to you with desire discrepancy. What are some like really practical approaches or advice you might yeah. give them? Yeah. Um, I think probably the first main thing is I would just normalize like the way that we tend to define desire culturally and in the world is that it just kind of shows up spontaneously. You know, you've got the movie where suddenly they're sweeping the furnish, you know, the stuff off the desk and they're having sex, right? Or like this idea that I should just suddenly feel turned on when my partner initiates, right? And that is one way that desire shows up. And it tends to be because it's oftentimes the only way we think of it. If it doesn't show up that way for you, we tend to think something's wrong. But the other way that desire shows up is what's called response. So that's spontaneous desire. It's kind of like a step function. It just turns on zero to a hundred percent. But that's probably like half the population and not, this isn't gendered. It's not just like men have that or women have that Mm -hmm. both men and women have that. But then the other half of the population has what's called responsive desire, meaning it starts small and it gets bigger, like during sex. These are the people who like in the middle of sex might be like, Oh gosh, I really like this. I don't know why I don't do this more often. Or maybe at the (laughs) end of sex, (laughs) you know, or like, Oh gosh. (laughs) So I really like for couples with desire discrepancy to know you both probably have desire. It just works differently for the two of you. So if we're trying to like expecting our partner to have spontaneous when they have responsive and we don't learn how to work with that ramp, we can't even get ourselves out of the water, right? So so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is like you own your own desire and turn on. It starts as an inside job. So if I've been putting that on my partner, they need to do this thing. Or if I've been putting that on myself to turn them on, I have to do this thing. And apparently I'm not competent because I'm not feeling it. Um, Again, that's just a lot of pressure and desire doesn't show up under pressure. So 
turning it around to say, hey, you own your desire. And if you have spontaneous desire and it shows up, high five you. And I own my desire. And if I have responsive desire and it's a slower burn, it's on me to learn what that is so that I can teach you and I can turn it on myself, right? Um, so I think those are the primary, you know, work is like helping the higher desire partner, like, um, don't feel bad about their desire that it's showing up, high five themselves, hold it in a way that's more inviting instead of pressure filled and the lower desired person to be like, Hey, I'm also normal. And there's things I can do about it if I want, and I'm not obligated to anything. And sex just isn't just like, you know, intercourse, penis and vagina. It can start with much (laughs) smaller (laughs) things, you know? Yeah. I feel like this is such an important thing that a lot of people just don't know. Like a lot of people don't have this knowledge. Yeah, that's exactly what, when I was going through it, I was like, I didn't know this stuff. Why doesn't everyone get taught this stuff? This is like a crime. Like, I mean, really, like if everyone's having better sex, like the whole world's just going to be happier. Definitely. (laughs) Just wait. I'm just waging world peace here. (laughs) (laughs) You're fighting the good fight. Yes. Well, I really want to talk about the TED Talk that you gave on reclaiming female sexual desire and the fact that as women, we receive so few positive messages around sex still. And that re- that really resonated with me. Growing up, I also received like very few positive messages around sex, really. One of the main ones that I picked up somehow from somewhere was that men's pleasure comes first if you'll excuse Mm. the terrible pun and it's taken me a really long time to unpick that and understand and express my own desire and then pursue my own pleasure and I feel like that's super common among my group of female friends as well like why do you think that has happened and how do we change it yeah and it's funny I was just talking to a colleague this morning you know I do think we've spent time and like the cultural timeline where there has been a period where men's pleasure has come first. It's been, you know, it, it both comes first and it, it's what insects, right? As soon as he comes, then we're done. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, so, and that's not good for men actually. Um, I have so many men like, why isn't she into it? You know, so it's not good for men. It's not good for women. And the knee jerk response can be to be like, well, it's all about me now. It's my pleasure. You need to find out from me. And so I do feel like there can be this, like, whereas where we actually probably want to get as a culture, as a society is like, it's our pleasure. We get to Mm. experience this beautiful thing together. Or maybe it's not Mm. beautiful. Some people just want it hot or just want it, you know, whatever kinky. Um, But we, you know, I think we are on this cultural societal journey together. And, um, you know, so just, I don't, for me, when you say, okay, like, how did we get here? What do we do about this? Like, for me, I just like, first of all, just start with compassion, right? Like, maybe I wasn't part of this longstanding timeline, but, you know, my partner's swimming in it, I'm swimming in it. And like, oh, like, that's heavy and hard. And, you know, sometimes I have this like little model of the clitoris, and I'll hold it up in session. And I'll be like, hey, so do you guys know what this is? And oftentimes, both the woman and the man, if it's a heterosexual couple, look at it and go, hmm, I don't know. And then I'll hold up like a dildo and be like, do you know what this is? <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's a penis. Um, I'm like, yeah, okay, so women's sexual organ, male sexual organ, we don't even know what the other one looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's, 
we can't jump to this step of educating the kids so that the next generation is better. We actually have to do the work ourselves to get more comfortable and more educated. And then if we do that, naturally the conversations will occur with the next generation. So yeah, I do think it's on like this generation to like explore like how am I not showing up for myself? How am I not learning about myself and my body? Um, in what ways, you know, if that's, if I'm female, right. If I'm male, like, Hey, how do I, how can I take some ownership over that? And, and really say, Hey, maybe this isn't rejection by this person who's saying no to this, but maybe what they're saying is, I don't know what I need to turn myself on. And I can get curious about that with them. Right. And so creating this space of like, let's explore together without pressure. Let's educate ourselves together because we got real crap education and then see where that takes us. And so what are some kind of practical ways that we can do that? You know, what are some of the key barriers to people talking openly about sex? Yeah, I mean, I think the taboo of it, you know, people just feel super uncomfortable. And so one of the things that I do offer is um, I have like this, just a, it's just a free PDF on my website that is um, a, a series of like discussion prompts that you can take. Oftentimes for women, I recommend start with your girlfriends. Don't even start with your partner. There's too much pressure there. Like just start right. the conversation with your girlfriends, right? And like, gosh, like this time, you know, of being um, stuck in our homes, like with Zoom call accessible. So, so that's one thing I would say, just like, grab these discussion prompts. I have like four meetings worth of discussion prompts and just have the conversation with your girlfriends. Um, I think, you know, beyond that, um, the other thing I'm toying around with is like, how do I, for people who are maybe not ready to like have that conversation with anybody, they just like want to learn themselves. Like there's so many great books out there. Um, there's so many great Ted talks where you can like explore that and maybe just have a conversation with one other person or, um, you know, watch a talk together. Um, so on my, on my website, again, I have like a whole bunch of books that are listed that people can just like check out. And there's so many different topics. You read about it, like learn about it a little bit, think about how that relates to your life. Um, yeah. So for you then, what's the most fulfilling, rewarding part about being a sex and relationship coach and your, the general work that you do, the research that you do, the awareness raising that you do? Yeah. Um, I think the most rewarding part is seeing those like aha moments that people have. Um, you know, I was working with a woman yesterday and, and, you know, she, I was asking her, what's the script? Like, how, how does the sexual experience go down? And she's like, well, you know, it kind of says like, okay, tonight. And so I get some like, you know, notice. <laughs> and then she's like, and then it starts with kissing. And then she was just like skipping on to the next step. And then this happens. And I was like, wait, 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 go back. Like, do you like kissing? And, and she was like, huh, well, I like it when it's this way, but not this way, but it always transitions to that way. So really, I just don't like it. And, and I said, oh, well, have you told him that? You know, have you talked about that, right? Because so much of what we do sexually is we are following scripts or things we're supposed, we think we're supposed to be doing versus like actually checking in with what we want to do or being brave enough to talk about it. And, and you could just see this like light bulb go on in her head. She's like, oh my gosh. She's like, I don't know why I never thought to have that conversation. And it's just that aha moment, that light bulb going on to just by just providing some education or asking the question that they can take it and run with it, which is really cool. 
it's like simple, but it feels quite radical in the effect that it could have yeah. on your whole life. Yeah. 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 Like my superpower is just helping people talk more comfortably about sex. Right. And that's, <laughs> it's an awesome superpower. <laughs> well, I'm interested to know, have there been any parallels with your previous career in tech and now, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, you used to work in tech and now you work in a very human world. Yeah. So yeah, have there been any overlaps, parallels? For sure. Like my last job in tech, um, I was kind of a go-between between between an engineering team and the businesses that those teams supported. And so I would literally get them into, I would get the engineers in the room with someone external of the company that was using their product. And I would help translate, like the engineers are saying this, you know, the business person saying this, and how do they come together? And I'll be sitting there with couples, like doing that same thing, being like, okay, well, this person is saying this, but this person is saying this, but I think you're actually just like, we need like a little translator, you know, a little uh, decoder ring. (laughs) Mm. So that definitely feels um, similar. And definitely the more I learn about, you know, whether it's one of the things when you're working in sexuality, you learn, okay, well, you're looking for this in sex, but it's not just to get off. You're actually looking to have a certain feeling. So like, maybe I want to feel, you know, special, or I want to feel competent or something like that. And that has like, like, if you can start to learn the psyche of people like that, you could be better in business, you could be better in relationships, like it it has far ranging those effects. Something that you hear a lot when people go into therapy or into coaching is that life experience helps, life experience gives them the edge. So it's maybe not the best thing to go into initially out of university or out of school. Is that something you would agree with? Yeah, it was interesting when I was going to school um, to get my my um, psychology degree. Um, you know, I was doing it midlife, um, and and it's true. Like a lot of people in the classroom, at least in that school and in that setting, were you know most of them were thirties, forties, even sixties, seventies, and there were two women who were in their twenties. And I kind of had this thought, I was like, okay, so first of all, like, you know, if you're going to serve a population, when do you graduate um, and the population's older than you, they might kind of question your experience, but, but there's also populations that are younger, right? So there, so those two women were actually going to be working with teens and teens, frankly, probably would listen more to a, you know, 20 year old than maybe someone older. And, and, and they were, you know, it's not to say that just people with, who are older have had major life experiences. Certainly there are kids who have had cancer. There are kids who have had substance abuse challenges. There are kids who have experienced, you know, war or trauma and they become old souls real quick because of those life experiences. So I don't think it's just totally tied to age. I think there's definitely, you know, exceptions to that. And it's true, the more life you've lived, (laughs) the more experiences you've had, and you might empathize with a wider set of of folks. So what advice would you have for someone wanting to leave tech or leave any kind of role that's, you know, very specific and driven and move into something completely different? Um, I would say have some conversations with people who have done that. I love your series because you're helping people have those, those 
hearing those conversations, right? Um, have conversations with people who, if they haven't made that transition themselves, that are at least in the place that you think you might want to go so you can learn more about it and, you know, make sure that you're not like idealizing what it's like. Um, you know, for me, that was like, I wanted to make sure I really understood like, how long does it take me to ramp a business? And almost everyone said three years. So if I go in thinking in six months, I'm going to have a career, I'm making a big financial mistake, right? So I think having conversations, making sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, and maybe like, I think there's this problem where people think they have to have all the ducks in the row, like everything like lined up, right? You know, chances are you can probably ease into it more than that. You know, I, you know, writing a blog was a great way to build a brand before I actually even wanted to get clients, right? And it allowed me to step into that space a little bit. Um, you know, I could, I could see a couple clients a week while I was going to school. Um, frankly, more people weren't seeking me out yet <laughs> and I didn't have time, right? So you can ease into it. It doesn't need to be like, I have to get everything in a row and then I launch. Um, yeah, so have conversations, ease into it. 